When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think we all grew up with that rich kid we knew who never learned how to share. Sometimes a trust fund is a bad thing. As a father of four, I'm constantly thinking about the best way to leave my kids in good hands while making sure those hands still get dirty now and then. Even if you go to work in a button-up shirt, sometimes you have to roll up your sleeves. Today's guest, David York, makes a, a really compelling case for rethinking the inheritance process in a smart and healthy way. As an estate planning attorney, he's a CPA, an author. He's done a TED Talk. I call him a TED Talk rock star. David studied the habits of families who successfully transferred wealth without losing the qualities that make them successful in the first place. He says that so many of us, we prepare our wealth for our children without ever preparing our children for that wealth. Just like all of us, I want to be able to do everything I can to make sure my kids live happy lives. But I don't always know exactly the right way to do it, even when it comes to money. How do I give them the tools they need without taking away their ability to use those tools? I don't think any of us know the exact answer to that question. But luckily, David does. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. So you're a CPA and uh, you're a managing partner with uh, in Salt, out in Salt Lake City. So you're in the the God's country near my favorite, one of my favorite places in the world, Park City, which I love yeah. that place. Yeah, Park City is just beautiful. I, I, everyone, especially from high tax states, has found that place in the last two years that didn't know it existed. Before. I know. I'm a little late on the game. I can't, you can't get a place on the mountain for less than about seven to ten million. So I'm a little late on that one. But let, I'm going to go to this. I, I found you via a TED Talk. This question is one of the, it's a never answerable question, but for some reason, it's not one of those annoying, never answerable questions. It's almost like a fun question to constantly seek the truth on, which is, is inherited wealth, inherited wealth, is it, is it a powerful tool or is it destructive? Is it a is it a bad influence? So I want to I want to start today with this question that I I struggle with all the time. I look at it. I think about my own kids. I think about families that I've worked with that some inherited money and it kind of ruined them. Some inherited money and they're amazing. I don't know the answer to it. I do this for a living. But let's first. I want to ask you about your TED Talk. Just the logistics of doing that. Is it just a one shot thing? Is it, did you have to rehearse a bunch or did you just nail the 13 minutes and 20 seconds that it, that it took? Yeah. So it was a, it was a great process. Someone told me at the beginning of it, they said, you know, if you want me to talk 
for an hour, give me a give me a couple weeks notice. If you want me to talk for ten minutes, give me four months. <laughs> uh, and it was a it was really true. Uh, it was such a great experience because it really forces you down to the essence of your message. Um, and in an hour, I can tell stories and give anecdotes and ramble and whatnot. But when you literally are on a clock and they're going to turn you off, like they're literally going to turn off when you hit that. In fact, it was funny. I was told I had 12 minutes uh, for, for months of preparation. And I'm working on that. Like two days before they said, okay, you have 10 minutes. And I said, no, Whoa. I said, no, I can't like, I can't do it. So we compromised at 11 minutes, but literally it was so, it was such a good process because it's a refining process that really gets you down to the essence of your message. And so even though it was that 10 minutes was far more work than any multi-hour presentation I've ever done in my life, it was one of the most powerful because it really got you down to, you know, being able to articulate the point you're trying to make. Well, let's also, let me ask you about your book. So Entrusted is one of those books, correct? Yeah. Uh, of your, you have two different books. Which one is your favorite? Which one do you like better? Well, definitely Entrusted uh, has resonated the most with people. And it was born out of seeing so much failed wealth transfer, seeing addictions fed, heirs stripped of purpose. Heirs, uh, you said heirs stripped of yeah, purpose. Heirs, yeah, heirs, you know, uh, inheritors stripped of purpose, families uh, torn apart. And so um, I saw all the negative effects, but kind of like the positive psychology. I know you've talked with Emily you know, Smith before and the yeah. concepts of positive psychology. My partner and I sat down and said, okay, what are the common characteristics of families that actually do successfully transfer wealth? Instead of focusing on all of the problems, let's look at those families that actually do successfully transfer wealth and what do they have in common? And we identified, you know, seven things that, uh, that they have in common um, that were unique from the examples of failed wealth transfer. Okay, so, so let, let's go to, um, I think of the... Mark Twain, I always love the Mark Twain quote around, I didn't have time to write short, so I wrote long, something yeah. like that. It's kind of like you're talking about your TED Talk. But yeah. uh, the, the, the other thought here is that I wanted to go into almost the disaster. Give me, and we do have a little more than 10 minutes, so that's why we can, we can talk about the downside first. And I love this thought, is inherited wealth a powerful tool or is it a, is it a burden? Is it destructive? And that's what you're going to answer with your seven. And I love that your thought here is that you want to do this by focusing on those who are successful. But, right. but for our families listening, particularly if you haven't had to face this just yet and you're accumulating and accumulating, you're going to get to the point where you're wealthy. It's a little hard for people, David, to feel sorry for those who have all this wealth. Like, oh, it's such a tough problem. Oh, succession planning, the, leg the burden of a legacy. Come on, I love that burden. However, oh, and the short sleeves to short sleeves. That's the, that's the one that nobody seems to ever have down pat. And I've even looked up the origin of, in three generations, shirt sleeves to short sleeves, back to short sleeves and shirt sleeves, who said, she yeah. said by the seashore, which yeah. is essentially going from manufacturing to then professional, then wealthy, then back to 
unwealthy. Can you maybe just go into that? Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting because it actually is, um, you find it cross-culture. Uh, in, in a lot of Asian cultures, you hear the term rice paddy to rice paddy in three generations. Or uh, I think in um, uh, Sweden, Norway, it's, it's uh, clogs to clogs in three generations. And the concept is, you know, that first generation is the wealth creator uh, and built and sustained that wealth. The second generation saw how it was created and oftentimes can sustain it. But by the time you get to that third generation, they're so removed from the wealth creation that it ends up being squandered and you're back to starting over. And so it's a little proverbial, but I don't think it's far off. Um, and you see that across family businesses. Uh, you see that in, in macro studies of wealth transfer is this accumulation dissipation phenomenon. And some of the biggest examples, though, and I want to I, I think I remember writing about the maybe it's the Vanderbilt family where a yeah. hundred years later, the uh, Vanderbilt reunion, there was only a few millionaires in the whole group, something. The story is that there wasn't a single one. Okay. Uh, so give us that story. Just give us the highlights of that. We, we know the Vanderbilts to be wealthy, how, how wealthy and then how unwealthy. Yeah. So Cornelius Vanderbilt, uh, at the time of his death was not only the wealthiest person in the world. I, I think if I remember right, he had the equivalent of 10% of the collective net worth of the entire country. I mean, just think through that amount of wealth. He was just incredibly wealthy. Um, and you fast forward that 100 years, they had a celebration of his birthday at Vanderbilt, which was obviously named after him, endowed by him. And among his descendants, there wasn't a single millionaire. Um, Anderson Cooper writes a great book on Vanderbilt's because he is actually a descendant, uh, even though... His mom married into the to a Cooper. Uh, he's actually a descendant of the Vanderbilts, but grew up with nothing. Um, no kidding. Now than, he's now now he's probably now, but again he's back to the clogs, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he's yeah, a millionaire because of what he does. Yeah, yeah, and so you see that time and time again. So part of what we wanted to do is look at okay, if if the axiom we use in in um, uh, entrusted. And well, entrusted, what we in estate planning more generally is that 90% of wealth is dissipated by the third generation so that it's gone. And that you can you can fuss over the statistics. But the question is, well, what are the 10% doing? Right. You know, so instead of focusing on the problems, what are what are the focusing on the habits of those who actually do successfully transfer wealth? So I love this. So tell let's go through them. You, and again, I know I started, I haven't followed any of the questions I was going to ask you. So that's usually makes for the best interviews is that I'm just, this is such a top, it's just an inherent thing that I'm, I'm constantly struggling with myself as a, as a parent, as I think about my kids, what are they going to do? I, you know, there's an example in, um, I've got kids in, in a couple different schools, but one of them is a private school. You got a bunch of rich parents and I recently, uh, heard of a parent again real wealthy that essentially has the attitude that oh it's just school like oh we can just go to we can go do this trip or whatever we can just he little johnny can be out of school for 
a, uh, a week. What's the big deal? High schooler. Oh, you can just be honest. It's just, it's just school. And I heard that the other day and it kind of hit me like, whoa. And it very, again, let's think, you know, in general, let's say wealthy. And I was thinking of the message that, that, that would be sent to a kid of like, look, hey, we're already rich. You don't even need to worry about this. You don't even know where to go. And I was like, I was kind of sh- blown away by that. And um, so, so that sounds like one of the things not to do. I keep talking about those. Let's talk about the things that you should, that you need to do to make sure that your kids don't go back to, again, clogs to clogs in, in three generations. Yeah. And I think it, it starts with a principle. If I've, if I've learned one thing, I've done estate planning now for 25 years. If I've learned one thing, it's this. We value things based on what they cost us. Um, and when um, something doesn't cost us anything, we just simply cannot value it like something that comes with cost. And what's interesting is when you look at a wealth creator, how did they earn their wealth? Hard work, risk, stress, sleepless nights, worry, all of those things. As a result, they highly value their wealth because it costs them so much, right? Mm. If I gave you, Wes, if I gave you a first place medal for the Kona Ironman uh, triathlon, it wouldn't mean anything to you, yeah. right? Because you didn't, you didn't earn it. It didn't cost yeah. you anything. How, how do you, wait, I, a, how, David, how do you know? Maybe I've done Kona. Maybe I've done yeah, Kona. You, you look like you could have. Like <laughs> no, I haven't. Because, well, I'll tell you why I know you haven't, because you'd be wearing it right now. Yeah, uh, Actually, one of, my, one of my favorite clients of all time did Kona. And in order to get a cert, I think you needed to be done within the five hours or something. Like you have to, you have to finish it in a, in a maximum. Um, um, there's a minimum amount of time you have to have done it by, or else it doesn't count. And he, he had a massive, massive cramping in the last three miles of the run, which is the very, very last leg, and had to like crawl and oh. miss miss the cutoff by like twelve minutes. And uh, and still, like, he's one of the most brutal things he's ever gone through today and actually hasn't gone back to Kona since. Had to qualify. Had to be, like, a top three finisher in one of his races. Went to Kona. It was a big deal. He planned, like, two years, and then, boom, he never finished. So, anyway, amazing analogy. You're right. It wouldn't matter to me because I didn't didn't earn it. Same thing. Like, the cost of build the grind to build the wealth, you just can't – you can't – impart that on someone because you you can only impart it if you've gone through the struggle exactly in fact in fact here's the paradox here's the the problem of wealth what does wealth help you to avoid hard work (laughs) risk stress sleepless nights and worry and so i think that shirt sleeves the shirt sleeves is simply because of this that what what you used to create and value your wealth is what wealth helps the next generation to avoid. And in the process, the value of it is lost. Yeah. Um, they, did a, they did this fascinating study, uh, psychological study at a university, and they sold uh, students mugs uh, for seven bucks, or they were worth $7, and they sold them for $2. And they sold half the kids the, the mugs for $2 with a credit card. The other, the other half, they made them pay cash. And as you probably know, uh, physically, we actually have a pain receptor that goes off in our brain when we pay with cash that credit cards avoid. You know, So you have this imperceptible level of pain associated with having given the $2. 
But that wasn't the science experiment. The experiment was they went back to the kids and they said, look, we actually oversold these mugs. We need to buy them back from you. But you tell us what, what you'll sell them back to us for. So there were seven. You paid two. The half that bought with credit cards, on average, were much more willing to sell and on average sold them back for $3.70. Okay. The, the ones that paid with cash, the exact same amount, they paid $2 of cash, but they felt that imperceptible level of pain. On average, they were much less willing to sell the mugs back and on average asked over $6 a mug back. So literally, they doubled the value of this item simply because of that imperceptible level of pain that was associated with it. In fact, there's some brands that are actually trying to figure out how to make it harder to buy their goods and services so that people actually impute upon it more value. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's fascinating. And and part of the problem, too, is when you're wealthy, you go through all that pain. And so you say, isn't part of the, the benefit of my wealth to, to help my kids avoid that pain and struggle and trial? And when they do so, they don't realize they're actually undercutting the very value or the very things that brought value to their wealth. So the problem with wealth is that the very pain that we went through, we try to disassociate it. We try to protect our kids from having the same pain. And it's you're right. It's like human emotion. Like, oh man, I did that, but I don't want you to have to do that. That was right. brutal. Like, I, you know, I, roofing in the summer. Like, yeah, I don't want my kids to do that. I did that. Like, I don't want you to have to be a, a as an example. So therein lies the problem, and that's why ninety to in your point here, your general statistic here was that ninety percent of wealth gets spent or goes to zero, essentially back to zero, in that third generation. So for the 10% that that did not happen to, David, yeah, I want to know about that. Before we get there, I want to talk about the word legacy and how, how important that word is to you. And what does it mean to you? And our, what, is our, what, is, what should our audience know? These are, this is, again, retire sooner audience. We're trying to figure out how to retire one year sooner, maybe more. This is a hardworking group. They're savers. They're investors. They really take money seriously. So they're probably in that first or second generation. And maybe the third generation, right? So hopefully that third generation is listening. What is legacy? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because that is a heavy word for a lot of people. I have some clients who that is the defining word for them and how they approach the second half of their life. I've had other clients who have forbidden me from even using the word uh, legacy because they don't like the connotations. But, you know, as I really thought about uh, legacy, um, you know, I think there's five truths. The, the first is legacy is about so much more than money. You know, so often we equate down legacy equals money, or I think a corollary word to legacy is impact. Um, and, um, you know, if I don't have a lot of money, I can't leave a legacy. My gosh, I, I one of the most impactful people in my life was my eighth grade math teacher. She was hard and tough and demanding, and she brought the best out in me. She has a legacy that's living on today. So there's so much more than money. The second, though, is legacies aren't neutral. Uh, some, so often we think of legacies in a positive sense, but they can be positive or negative. Mm. Um, and I mean, we see even today in 2022, the legacy of things that have happened in, in our history 
that we're still dealing with and experiencing today. And the reason it's important to realize that legacies aren't neutral is the third truth, and that is that they're not optional. You know, you can't opt out of leaving a legacy. Yeah. Um, because legacy involves impact and how we relate to and how uh, we affect others. And so they're, they're not optional. We can't opt out of leaving uh, a legacy. When you say it's not neutral, you mean that it could be a bad legacy. We, we think of legacies, yeah. oh, what's this wonderful thing you're going to leave the world with? But it could be a bad legacy. So it's it, nobody. It's very hard to leave a neutral legacy. And we're all going to leave one. So it's not optional. All right, what's number four? Exactly. Exactly. And so we don't have a choice. We need to embrace. And the, the good news is I actually think people are more legacy-minded than they've been for literally hundreds of years. It, it is hard to think legacy when you're in the midst of survival, right? And um, we have an opportunity here to really be much more thoughtful and intentional about legacy. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, Google has this really cool program. You'll lose an afternoon if you get into this. And it tracks the use of words over the last 220 years. So you can see in literature the use of words. Um, use of the word impact is up like 400% in the last 60 years. The use of the word legacy is up 600% in the last uh, uh, 60 years. The use of the word inheritance down 50% over the last uh, uh, 200 years. People are thinking far more about legacy and impact and less than just inheritance. Um, and so I think that's a good thing because of the fifth truth. Legacies can change. Mm -hmm. You what know, do you what do you mean by that? And by the way, I'm fascinated by this Google. Is that a what do you what do you I think I've seen that through it with names. I guess yeah, and the uses of words, but what is that Google? Yeah, what? so you do that Google, it's called Ngram, N-G-R-A-M viewer. So if you if you just Google that, uh, you can put in different words and you can see the usage of those words throughout uh, uh, English history. So they, they go back, they read every book in English history and they can track the, the frequency. <laughs> and they do it on a percentage. They do it on sure. a percentage basis. Right. So, so you can see on absolute terms. Amazing. But, Only you know, Google can do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, but that fifth truth is that legacies can change. You know, we are more than the sum of what we've done in the past. Um, and there are countless examples of people who change their legacy. And so, um, Can you I give me an example? We, That's a harder one to conceptualize. Tell me about how. how tell me about that. Well, I, I, one of the classic examples uh, is is a guy named John Newton who who wrote the the wrote Amazing Grace. You know his story. He uh, was raised uh, his mo his mom died when he was young, and um, he was raised by his stepmother. And at the age of twelve, she got so sick of him. Uh, she sold him off to the merchant marines and he worked as in the shipping industry. Um, and he actually um, uh, then joined the Navy, was so insubordinate, they actually sold him into slavery for a period of time. When he finally got free, he himself became a slave trader. And so for a period of time, he engaged in the slave trade business. And through some series of, of near-death experiences and whatnot, he actually left that, went into theology. Uh, and on a Christmas Day, he heard a, he heard a sermon. From that, he wrote Amazing Grace, the most covered song of all time, uh, the most uh, frequently sung song of all time. 
that's a guy who changed his legacy from what he was. And I think so often it is important to understand our past, but it's important to understand we're writing legacy today and we'll write it tomorrow. Wow. That that is quite that is quite a change of legacy. Yeah. It really is. That is an amazing example. So legacies are not optional. Maybe that's the most eye-opening to me is that we're going to leave one. It, we always think of legacy as it has to be positive, but it could be negative. So we need, and we're going to do it. So, so we have to work on it being a positive legacy. So, which gets us to how do we then translate that into the 10% of our family members of the next generation that stays successful, that doesn't squander the money. Yeah. So um, as we looked at the characteristics of families that were successful, they had a couple things in common. First and foremost, they knew who they were, what they valued and what they believed. So they had clarity of their why and that drove everything else that they did. Um, and you know, it's so interesting in estate planning, we so often focus on what and how. What is estate planning? How do we do it? We should be asking the questions of why and who. You know, why are we doing what we're doing? Who do we want to impact and how do we want to do that? And so, um, but but by and uh without a doubt, first and foremost, they had that clarity of understanding that and they could articulate to you their why, and that drove everything else. So clarity, so again, this is leaving a positive legacy. It's a clarity of understanding what they wanted. Yeah, well, uh, clarity of who they were. Uh, because who who, uh, I'm sorry, they, they, they had clarity on why they were doing what they were doing. Okay. So they, they it's almost a, the, so it's why they were doing what they were doing. So almost as though they have their own life mission. So you can't leave a legacy unless you have your own life's work, life's mission, et cetera. Exactly. And the great thing about understanding your why is it gives you clarity and it gives you freedom because one of the hard parts, and, and I see this, especially as you have more wealth, and it's actually one of the problems with inherited wealth, is that you can do anything in life. You just, you can't do everything, right? And so often you see people who live these shotgun lives where there's a lack of impact because they're just going in every different direction. Uh, that's what I love about your podcast. You, are, you have a singular focus, right? You know what you're trying to accomplish. You have your why, and so then that drives your how. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you didn't have that North Star of, I want a million people to be able to retire, then you're going to be all over the place. Right. So it, it's your compass. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, too many people, once they arrive, they set the compass aside. They don't have a compass. And so they just go rudderless. Uh, and, and that's part of what creates the, the problem. So, so sticking with the making sure you have the clarity of what you're almost like a business, a business has to have a real purpose, North star mission, whatever you want to call it in order to rally around and be successful. Uh, so do people. And so does this, this wealth transfer, a successful wealth transfer is really what we're talking about here. How do we make it so that, that many generations stay successful? Yeah. You're the first one of this is understand what your, what your personal mission is. That's number one. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I kind of tell people if if your if your life mission were a business, would you invest in it? Mm -hmm. You know, um, how many times do you hear people, they make a business pitch and you're like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't have clarity. 
you don't have you don't know the problem that you have or how you want to solve it, and you're not surrounded by good people. I would never invest in it. And the the problem is, we can be so intentional at work. We have clarity of our values and clarity of what we want to do, and then we go home, and it's the tyranny of the urgent. Right? We got lessons and homework and uh, uh, errands we've got to run, and all of that. And the question becomes, why would we be so intentional at work and so completely unintentional at home? Uh, and so it's, that was the key, the, the, the number one by far, is that they had that clarity. And so it really allowed them to focus on that. And that's why we think it's so important for people to understand those core values that really drive them and then resource those values. Did, now, do you have an example of a family that maybe has that or an individual that had that clarity that you write about? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it was interesting. I was working with a, with a family, um, and, um, we, we went through this exercise and they wanted to be known for, for three key values. Number one was loyalty. They wanted to be known as people who were loyal to each other, uh, loyal to uh, the businesses that they invested in and did. Second is integrity. They wanted to be marked by integrity uh, in everything that um, they engaged in with themselves, with others and whatnot. And then the last was excellence. They wanted to be known for excellence. They said, we, wanna, we want everything that we touch to be excellent. Now, Unfortunately, the acronym for that is lie, but let's set that aside. Uh, so they, um, so it was interesting. So they had that. That afternoon as we were talking, they were talking about in doing a business that they, as a family, they were thinking about in investing in and being a part of. And it could have had a good return to it, but it was kind of geographically remote and they weren't sure what they wanted to do uh, with this investment. And so I just asked them a question. I said, let me ask you this. Can you do it with excellence? And they said, done. We're not doing the deal. Mm. Because, yeah, it could have produced a return. Yeah, it could have been something they did. But it didn't live up to their core values of who they wanted to be and how they wanted to be known. So it actually turned what had been three months of deliberation back and forth into a two-minute decision. Mm. Um, and so I think it's not rocket science. It's just creating that, that vision of who you want to be and then matching up how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you invest your talent to be consistent with those things. What's number two? So clarity, number one. Yeah, so number two characteristic of families is that they prepared their children for wealth and not just wealth for the children. Whoa, say so that again. They prepared their children for wealth. And they didn't simply prepare their wealth for the children. So, so most estate planning focuses on the wealth and how do we transfer that in the most tax efficient way, in the most asset protected way, control all of that. And we spend so little time actually preparing the people that will receive that wealth. Okay. How do I do that? How do we do that for our kids? So let's say we've got some wealth. How do I prepare my children for being wealthy? Do I say, you don't have to go to school because we're wealthy? Or do I? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a good question, and and to me, I, I refer to the traditional estate planning model as the four D model: dump, divide, defer, and dissipate. Right? We dump the money down to the next generation. Uh, we divide it up equally. 
we try to defer any taxes and we dissipate the wealth. It's a shotgun approach to wealth transfer, and that's part of why it doesn't last. Um, I, I recommend what I call the 4P model. Again, purpose, help your kids have an understanding. And what we're finding more and more with, with children, millennials down, is they don't know who they are, they don't know what they value, and they don't know what they believe. So if you can just help your kids have an understanding of that, um, you're setting them ahead. So help them with purpose. Yeah. Second is, is participation. Mm-hmm. They need to participate in age-appropriate ways with the family, uh, and they need to have responsibility. You know, um, we throw out the word entitlement all the time, and you see all that guy, that those kids act entitled, or this person's entitled. Entitlement really is a focus on rights without any responsibilities, mm. right? Um, uh, enslavement is when you only have responsibilities and you don't have rights. And that's why we like focusing on being entrusted. And that's an equal combination of rights and responsibilities, right? And that's in balance. And so we think participation in, uh, you know, whether it's a family business, it's in chores, it's in being responsible for a portion of your expenses. I, I have clients who are worth, you know, $40, $50 million. They have their kids go out and earn money for their shoes uh, and take, get jobs uh, and participate. Third is preparation. Um, and, and that's beyond just education. It's, it, it's interesting. I was working with a family once. And dad was really worried about, uh, you know, inherited wealth being a negative to the kids. And he didn't want to tell them that he, how much money he had because he thought it might destroy Ruin their him. self-reliance. And, and it was fascinating. So we, we had a family discussion. And in the midst of that, they said, one of the kids said to dad, dad, we don't want your money, but you're really good at making it. Can you teach us how to make money? And he had honestly never even thought about it. And so what he did is he actually, they created separate little LLCs and he invested with each of his kids and they learned like, what's a stock? What's a bond? They learned how to look at real estate and how do you determine what's a good purchase and how do you cash flow it? Um, One wanted to start a business. Okay, how do you look at that? How do you... So he was able to mentor them. And we used to do this. We had apprenticeships, right? And we would teach our kids. But unfortunately, so often we outsource that education and we were bypassing opportunities to um, prepare kids. And then the last is perspective. Um, It's no fault of children to assume that how they grow up is how everyone grows up, right? And so I think helping people understand, serve others, uh, travel the world, see what it's like around the world. Yes, go to beautiful places, but go to places where there's struggle and trial and difficulty, not to make you feel guilty, but to understand the opportunities that you have. I had a client once, they were, they were going to Hawaii for two weeks and they were renting a beach house uh, $25,000 a week for two weeks. <laughs> and they took all the kids. And uh, he said, he said, you know, I don't want my kids to get the wrong perspective in life. So I'm going to make them fly coach. Uh, and I was like, well, that'll keep them grounded. There won't be any issues. But, you know, I, I think it really is important that the fact that you can go to the refrigerator and open it up and there's food, that's actually unique. Um, the fact that you have opportunities to be in sports or do other things is unique. And it's not to make you feel 
guilty, but it's to help you have an, a perspective on life. So yeah, purpose, participation, preparation, and perspective. I think that's how you focus. Mm, that, is, that is powerful. What's number three? So, um, you know, and this kind of goes back to your question of is inherited wealth good or bad? And the answer is yes, uh, it depends. Um, traditional estate planning sees the correlation between the amount of wealth you transfer and the benefit as a direct correlation, right? Okay, go back and, and say that again. So the more, more, the more money you transfer, the more what? The better it is. So that there's a direct correlation. The better what, what do you mean? The better what though? The, the better outcome for the for the next generation. So it's it. If you can transfer more money to your children, is better. That's that's the traditional huh. view of wealth transfer. Most of my clients don't see it that way. They actually see it as an. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So that's you're saying that's the, the traditional thought. Give them a, get a, get the kids as much as I possibly can. Okay. However, exactly. what, what you're saying yeah, is yeah. What's what? better for your kids? Then 500,000, that's 5 million. What's better than 5 million? 25 million, right? right? right. Most of my clients, that, especially ones that are successful, they don't see it as a direct correlation. They see it as an inverted U-curve, right? Um, and you can go from a point where, uh, other way around, you know, so it goes top to bottom. So uh, with a little bit of wealth, you can do anything in life. With too much wealth, you can do nothing, Right. And that's the that's the Warren Buffett quote. Is it? You know, he said, "I want to leave my kids enough wealth that they can do anything in life, but not so much that they can do nothing." Yeah. And so it really is important to think through that. Um, you know, Solomon three thousand years ago he said this: "Give me neither riches nor poverty, but only my daily bread." Right? He saw the problem of too little wealth, and he saw the problem of too much wealth. Um, and um, you know, the way I describe it is if you don't have access to any resources, it's hard to get in the game. Yeah, yeah. If you have too many resources, you don't even need to play. Right. And so um, they really spend time thinking through what is that high point. And then if they have resources in excess of that, um, what are we going to do with those? Number four. So number four is that, that families that are successful, they focus on... Um, Flint and kindling. Um, and what we what I mean by that is they don't focus on the transfer of resources. They they focus on providing opportunities for kids to create their own wealth. You know, and I, I kind of give this the example. If you're you you the wealth that you built creates a roaring fire that keeps your family warm and provides for you. Um, and when it comes time for your kids to head head on down the road of life, too many families give their kids burning logs and send them down. <laughs> <laughs> send them down the path and they end up burning themselves and burning the, the forest down. Yeah. What you really should focus is on, on teaching your children how to replicate that. And so um, Flint is that spark. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's that it's education, it's opportunity, uh, it's non-traditional education, um, apprenticeships, um, travel, all of those things help to build experience and wisdom and then kindling is just a tiny bit of resource. And that, that can come in the form of helping to provide funds to start a business or helping to match down payments or helping to leverage charitable giving. You're not you're matching the work and effort because you need the kids to bring their own cost. So they bring value uh, and then you match that. So they really focus more on opportunity transfer than wealth transfer. Mm, gosh, and it becomes thought. more of a mind shaft than a 
than a shotgun. You know, and that's again, the, the, so much of this resonates with me is I've got five younger boys, young, they're not that young anymore. And it's so much of this is, I'm sorry, did I say five? <laughs> I have four younger boys. Marissa, literally, as I was saying that, hold up, held up the five minute warning. <laughs> so, so I said, <laughs> I've got five. Wait a minute. I have a child. I didn't even, I have four young boys and five yeah. minutes uh, remaining. So uh, let's go into, uh, we've got, a, two, I guess we have three, three more. Let's try to wrap up with almost in a lightning round, five, six, and seven. What are the, what are our yeah, final five- three? Five is they're generous. Like you see generosity drip and it's axiomatic. It's, it's fascinating to me. Uh, the wealthiest people I find in life are the most generous and, and it's just correlative. And they, it's because they see an expansive, abundant perspective in life as opposed to uh, a very myopic scarcity mentality. But generosity just exudes from these families. Were they generous before they were wealthy or did they become generous because yeah. they had the wealth? No, it's both. And mm. I think if you wait till you're wealthy enough to be generous, you'll never be generous because you'll never think you're wealthy enough. Mm. Um, and it does allow you to, certainly to give more as you have as you have more. But it's a mentality that you find irrespective of the amount of wealth. I have met some of the most generous people I know do not have a lot of resources. Uh, and so uh, number six is that they, they preserve and protect wealth. There is an important component to the structure. It is important that you tax plan. It is important that you protect your assets. But that is not the, that's not the um, engine. It's the caboose. It's how you do it, not why you do it. And then last, they think through governance. You know, um, what I find is the most successful people, most successful wealth transfer happens when you care more about your successors than you care about your success. Right? Gover- when you're talking about governance, you're talking about how who's going to who's going to parse the the wealth and control the wealth when you're not there. Is that what you mean by governance? Exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, too often people want to outsource that. They say, right, I, uh, I, I've been too self-indulgent with my kids. I, I, I haven't held them to expectations. So I'm going to go hire a trust company when I die that's going to be really limiting. And it's essentially saying um, uh, it, it's based on a lack of trust and belief. And so we think that the best type, if you're going to preserve and protect wealth multi-generationally, that you prepare those kids and you build a system for governance where the family can manage and preserve that wealth. More like the old model was we focus on land transfer, right? Well, land was simply a transfer of an opportunity. And so how is that land going to be managed um, and and held multi-generationally? So those are the characteristics of families that, that successfully transfer wealth. Yeah, land transfer was really a, a transfer of opportunity. That's so true. Yeah. Uh, I loved. I just love your perspective on all of these things. No wonder you're a best-selling author. Uh, how did you end up in this world? How did you end up estate planning, CPA? I uh, grew up in an accounting firm. My dad had a CPA firm, so I answered the phones from like ten uh, on. And uh, so when I went to college, Flint I didn't know and there were Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Flint and Kindling. Yeah, so I uh, when I went to college, I didn't know there were any other majors other than accounting. But uh, so I was an accounting major, but I always wanted to be an attorney, and I wanted to be an attorney who happened to be a, a CPA, not the other way around. And so estate planning was just a natural. Plus, I love working with families. I love working with entrepreneurs, 
Um, and so it was kind of a natural to go into estate planning. The uh, and and are you so have you always been out in the on the West Coast and in, in uh, Salt Lake? Yeah, I went. Uh, grew up here. Went to the University of Utah. I, I bleed red. See, I don't even I don't know University of Utah that well. Oh, wait a minute, University of Utah. What's the? Um... We're the Utes. We were in the oh, Rose Bowl. That's we, right. The it was Utes. great for for fifty nine minutes and fifty one seconds. I was at the game, unfortunately. That it was a great game till the end. Quick, yeah. The uh, it's funny the Utes. The uh, I guess I do know that we're South. We're SEC country. So if you think about it, we're Georgia Bulldogs, et cetera. We won, and it's kind of like we don't really know any of the other teams except for like Georgia and Alabama. So, um, so and are you? By the way, do you go to Park City? Is it a ski? Are you a skier, snowboarder? Oh, yeah. yeah, Park City is is great. Uh, we're fortunate here in the Salt Lake Valley. We're 30 minutes to seven ski resorts. So, What's your favorite um, of all of them out there, by the way? You know, I actually really like uh, Solitude. Um, it's it's more of the locals, uh, and it's one of those you can just ski right up to the, to the lift and just go as long as you want. But we have some great resorts. Uh, a lot of people love Snowbird Alta just for the – because they're really vertical. Um, but – we just have a lot of great different resorts out here. By the way, have you finally started getting any snow? Or I've heard the snow is really rough this year, very low and light. Yeah, we're at or slightly below average. The problem is we've been in drought for the last couple of years, so we were hoping to catch up here. So we started ahead, and we're slowly we're a little behind. Although we got a little snow yesterday. Oh, good. So okay, I might I may be making a trip out to uh, Park City. Oh yeah! Before the before the winter is fully over, so I just I'm, well, I have, it's, it's going strong up there right now. So. I have my eye on uh, I have my eye on the snow counts right now. Nice. Uh, well, listen, this is really great. I mean, I you never know when you we financial topics, and this is something that we we always struggle with because it's they're not it's not like we're you know watching episodes of Yellowstone, right? This is not it's dramatic cinematography. This is, you know, talking about money and, you know, legacy and wills and estate planning. Like, I mean, it sounds like the most boring thing possible, but you managed to make it the most just fascinating topic possible, the way you approach it. And, and this, this particular, as you dive down, it's not just estate planning is so much more than buying life insurance policies, not to pay taxes. To me, estate planning is what you talk about here in that succession and anybody that's a retire sooner listener is really thinking about creating enough wealth to be able to not work, right? To be a full financial economic freedom. And if you are in that camp, you are also going to end up more likely than not with some real wealth. And that real wealth comes this responsibility and this this question around how do I transfer the legacy? How do I have my children have Flint and Kindling and not and how how do I give them clarity of why you know they're a life's mission and how do we prepare our children for wealth and those are things that are not easy to do those are t clearly otherwise statistically it wouldn't be such that 90 percent of wealth is squandered in the third generation so it's a human condition that we have to just be smarter about and i think if folks listen to today's episode they left probably a lot smarter so thank you for that absolutely yeah i i'll just leave you with this it's easy to leave your wealth. It's not easy to leave it well. It takes some work and effort, but invariably it's worth it. Um, and so um, just adding that level of intentionality makes all the difference. And it's a, it is 
an impact that can have a multi-generate, it's going to be a multi-generational one. Um, and so it's worth it, but it takes some effort. Gosh, so good. All right, man, David York uh, from, um, from Utah. Thank you, my friend. Anytime. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.